we are going to look at, and I wrote the verse right there underneath on your notes, Ephesians uh, 6, 4, I almost said 4, 6. Ephesians 6, 4, and we're going to look at that verse for a few minutes, and then we're going to look at some fathers in Scripture, some successes, uh, success slash failure and success and such as well. And I don't know about you guys, um, I know that I was and am lucky enough to have an incredible father. Uh, I talked uh, back on Mother's Day, right, and most of you know this, I talked about how my biological mother left and there were women that fulfilled that role in my life in ways up until Annette came along. But my dad, I mean, I mean, my aunt mentioned it with grandma that, you know what, she fulfilled the role of a father at times. My dad did his best to fulfill the role of a mom at times because he had to. That's not the way God originally intended things. But I am lucky enough to have an incredible father who taught me both in word and actions and 24 years in now still continues to teach me things, still continues to look out for my best interests whether or not I'd like those interests or not. But I'm going to say this as well. He was and is my biological father and my dad, but there have been other men in my life as well that while they have not been, quote, a dad to me, they have fulfilled different roles. I don't know if you guys know a gentleman named Dick Cook. He goes over to South and Milford Baptist Church. He mentored my dad and many people of that generation, and then he helped mentor me and many people of my generation. He wasn't my dad, but he fulfilled some roles like that. And there were multiple other men uh, that fulfilled that role in my life. So I want to say right off the jump, even before we begin this, the same thing I said on Mother's Day about moms applies with dads as well. Just because they are not your biological child does not mean you're not a father figure to them. And just because somebody has a father, great or bad, does not mean you're not a father figure to them in certain ways. And we're going to look at, I'm going to point out some stuff that we're all called, all of us men are called to do some certain things. So let's look at it. I'm going to read this verse, Ephesians 6, 4. And in the context, because you know me, I love context. This is talking about familial relationships. You see husband to wife, wife to husband, mother to daughter, all that kind of stuff in this passage of scripture. So I'm not taking it out of context, I swear. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that, that verse that's on there is written out of the New American Standard Bible, in case you wanted to know the translation. I used to try to use the first half of this verse against my dad all the time. The Bible says, don't provoke me to anger. You know what my dad's response was always? Be in control of your anger. Don't let anybody else provoke you to anything. And I'm like, will you stop it? You're not allowed to have biblical responses. I always used to call it the God card. You always knew you had lost the argument when either mom or dad whipped out the God card and threw it in your face. And you were like, dang it. I was doing so well before this. They were just sitting on it. But, of course, back then, I was kind of taking this out of context. Because it does not mean, this does, verse does not say, fathers, do not discipline your children. It does not say, fathers, do not do things your children do not like. What it means here is, and, and maybe if I was going to put it in today's terms and more uh, simplified, if you want to call it that, 
Fathers, do not unnecessarily throw your authority in your children's face. That's what this verse is saying right there. Now, obviously you're the father. You have authority over your children. And it's neither here nor there. There were so many times in my life, I still hear it from my dad, where he says, because I'm the dad. And that's his reason for something. And I would always go, I can't wait till I'm a father. I'm just going to use that on my kids. But he wasn't needlessly throwing his authority in my face because he always had a reason besides that, but he said, it's not your place to know that reason. Needlessly throwing your authority in your child's face is when they're doing something that's not wrong, and you're just like, I'm just going to make them stop just so they know who's in charge. Apply this to your bosses. There are bosses that needlessly throw their authority in your face. I'm going to make you do everything you don't like to do because I'm the boss and I can. I'm going to be honest with you here too. Moms can do it too. It's all of us. I, as the pastor, could needlessly throw my authority around. Well, we're going to do this because I said I'm the pastor. You guys voted me in. So now you have to live with those consequences. That wouldn't end well. But it's the same thing. Fathers, do not needlessly throw your authority in your children's faces. Instead, and here's the great thing, right? The Bible almost always, when it says don't do this, gives you something to do instead. Instead, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, you have a command in Scripture that I don't see anywhere that mothers do. Now, this is not saying, moms, you're not supposed to teach your children. We talked about that on Mother's Day. But men, we have a specific charge from God to teach our children or the people around us in discipline and instruction of the Lord. That falls on the men's shoulders. There are things that fall on a mom's shoulders, but this one falls on the dad's shoulders. I was just... um, I'm doing a wedding in July for an old friend from, from high school. And I was meeting with her and her fiancé, I almost said husband, her and her fiancé uh, yesterday just to do a little bit of premarital counseling and stuff like that. And we talked about the roles of men and women. And I said, listen, uh, uh, to the, to the fiancé, I said, listen, you are in charge. That's a horrid thing. And he looked at me funny and I said, Being in charge isn't fun, because when you get to heaven, she's not going to be the one that answers for the spiritual outcome of the household. You are. She's not going to be the one now, and I said, listen, we all are responsible for our own actions. You're not going to have to answer for her sins or your children's sins, but you will answer for if you did not raise them in the instruction of the Lord. She won't. You will. And he looked at me for a second, and he was like, well, that doesn't sound great. And I said... No, it doesn't. Everybody likes to be in control until they realize what control really is. Everything stops with you, which means including the bad stuff, and especially the bad stuff. And it's true of of us as, as fathers as well. And I'm not a father. One day I hope and pray that I will get to be. I'd love to have children one day. God, at this point in my life, has not said that you're going to. Why? Because I'm not married, so... That puts the kibosh on having the children in my life right now. But I'll say this. You all see him running around here almost every Sunday morning. Jax is almost four years old now. I may not be his biological father, but and it falls on Brent to make sure that he's brought up correctly, but it falls on me too. 
because I'm fulfilling that role in his life. Let's look at a couple examples here to show this. Number one, in Proverbs. I sat there this week and counted each proverb. There's 31 in case you wanted to know. That wasn't the hard counting part. That says it right there. Counted how many of them mentioned something like, oh my son, or to my son, or something like that. uh, I wrote it down there. Yes, 13 of the 31, or 42%, almost half of the Proverbs are written to Solomon's son. He probably had multiple. That happens when you have 300 wives and 700 concubines. I'm just shooting straight with you. So, so who knows if this was being written to one individual son or to all of his sons. But either way, he writes them, and they, it, it, I wrote it down there, it ranges for how should you live, to how should you find a wife, what should you look for in a wife, to, to uh, how, not seeking wealth over your life, to seeking spirituality, all that kind of stuff. Everything that we as fathers want to teach our children, Solomon writes about. And it's an incredible thing because Solomon, here's the thing, I just mentioned, 300 wives, 700 concubines, probably more than one child. It's very conceivable that he could have had a thousand plus children. Because if one of those women got, if each of those women got pregnant one time and gave birth, that's a thousand children. It's kind of hard to have one-on-one time with each of those children. That's a bad thing. Fathers, I want to encourage you, make sure you have one-on-one time with your sons and your daughters, because that's important. But so it's going to be hard for him to do it, and so what does he do? He writes it all down. They come knocking on the door. Here's your pamphlet from your dad. Here's how to live life. And it's all incredible stuff, right? We know the Proverbs. We read the Proverbs. Um, I I don't know about you, but I generally try to read a, a proverb a day. There's 31, so it works out almost perfectly to read a proverb a day throughout a month. And we know that they're not promises, they're principles, right? If you raise up your, raise up your children in the way they should go and they'll go the right way and stuff like that, that's a principle that doesn't mean 100% of the time it's going to happen because they're going to make their own choices. But so Solomon writes all this incredible stuff, but if you look at the few children we see in Scripture, they're not very good. People like Rehoboam didn't end very well. Why? I think it's because he never really got that father-son time. Because his father didn't invest in him. While his father wrote down tons of incredible stuff that we still read thousands of years later, while Solomon is the wisest man besides Christ to have ever walked this earth, he wasn't smart enough to read the rest of the Bible before then and go, oh, I shouldn't have 300 wives. That's 299 too many. Oh, I shouldn't have 700 concubines. That's 700 too many. Oh, I shouldn't marry people that aren't Jewish. Oh, my kingdom is in shambles because now we're worshiping other gods. And I didn't teach my sons how to truly be it. I bring this up and I said it's success and a failure. It's a success because he recognizes he has to teach his children. It's a failure because he says words, writes words but doesn't show with his actions, especially in the latter half of his life. Let's look at somebody who did with their actions. Abraham to Isaac. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. One night, he's sleeping, and he wakes up, and God's there, and he's all like, hey, go kill your kid. What? Go take him and sacrifice him to me. 
that kid that I promised you that will make your descendants greater than the number of stars in the sky. Go sacrifice him to me. I don't think he got much more sleep that night. The Bible just says he gets up the next morning and sets off. But I really don't think he got that much sleep that night. Because he loves his son. His son is his most precious Call it a possession if you want to. It's not like he owned it in that way. But his most precious thing in the whole world is his son. And God says, sacrifice him to me. And I bet you he rolls around all night. And he wrestles with it and he wrestles with it. But what does he do? He gets up in the morning. He gathers the wood. He gathers the fire. gathers the string, the, the, the knife. And he goes, okay, let's set off. Now here's the thing. Abraham believed God because God said your descendants will come from him. So I firmly believe that Abraham believed one of two things. There would be another sacrifice provided or God would raise his son from the dead. But it still doesn't make it easier to kill your child. So there they are. They're walking and they're going and Isaac seems like a smart lad because he goes, hey, hey, dad. We got everything that we need except for the sacrifice. Where are we going to get that? We didn't bring one with us and there's no towns around. Abraham's answer, right? God will provide. God will provide. Which is true because if Isaac is the sacrifice, God's already provided. And if there's a ram, as there obviously ends up being, God provides that. You see, Abraham teaches his son Isaac not just through his words, but through his actions. I'm not saying Abraham was perfect. He was a sinner like the rest of us. But he teaches Isaac through his actions as well. The Lord will provide. I firmly believe the Lord will provide, so I'm going to do what he asks me to do. And God will provide. I mentioned my dad. My dad is not a man of many words in a lot of ways. You guys know him here. We joke and we laugh, but, you know, the, the, the heartfelt heart-to-hearts weren't his thing. But he always lived the right life. And so when he would say things, I could go, yeah, because I've watched you live them out. I don't have to wonder in my life if God provides, because I've watched as my dad has faithful believed, faithfully believed that God would provide and God has done it every time. I don't have to wonder if doing the right thing, no matter how hard it is, is the right choice because I've watched as my dad has done it, and though he gets beat up for it, God provides and blesses in the end. Men, the people around us are watching. I mentioned it before, way back when, for, for us as moms, bringing Jax up again. Jax is watching. There are so many things he has learned how to do strictly by watching Papa. That's what he calls my dad so great. He just he runs around the house and he'll scream, Papa! Or if my mom will say, Dear, he'll go, Dear! You can call him Papa. The one day, this is completely different, but I remembered it. The one day we were all in McDonald's and my sister went to, uh, my sister went to get uh, something. I think she was getting a, a Frosty. No, that's Wendy's. Uh, McFlurry. And um, my mom goes, Linnea, can you do this? And Brent comes, or Brent, Jax comes running up and he goes, Linnea! And she goes, well, thank you, but you can call me mom. And he just goes, okay. Turns and walks away. I, I thought it was hilarious. But Jax, Jax is watching. And you know what? So is Davin. He's not here today, but Davin's watching as well. Davin, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, my mom originally wanted to take the kids out before worship. Davin, however, loves worship. 
He loves to sit in here and sing. If you notice, he sings the hymns. He sings the, 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 the contemporary, if you want to call them that, contemporary songs. He sings it all. He sings the doxology. And apparently, according to my mom, who was sat next to him, he has a fairly nice voice. He's watching you guys to see, are they singing? They're adults. They should be worshiping God anyway, no matter what's going on in their life. He's seven, eight, something like that. He watches. He loves to worship. Don't squash that in him because you're too angry to worship that day. Same for me. I'm not saying that. I'm watching you guys. I am. What I'm saying is I shouldn't squash that in Davin because I don't feel like it that day. Men, children are watching us. They're watching how we treat other people. My dad said very few things about how to treat a woman, but he showed me how to do it nonetheless. The only thing that my dad ever said to me about women is this, and I've taken it with me everywhere I've gone. Women are like diamonds. They don't need our protection, but they're precious, so we do it anyway. It's the only thing he ever really taught me about how to treat women. Everything else he just showed me. And I learned because of that. We're being watched, men. And it's our job. We are given a God-given call to lead and instruct people in the Lord. Be it at home, be it at church, be it at your workplace, wherever it be. Mentioned a mom's greatest responsibility is turning their children over to God way back on Mother's Day. Men, your greatest responsibility, I think, is to teach them doesn't mean everything's going to turn out great. It's a principle, not a promise. But you're commanded to do it nonetheless. And I don't know about you, but I find that exciting. The fact that I know Jax is four years old and he watches me, that makes me be a better person. The fact that at VBS, not this week, but next week, I'm going to have, Lord willing, 50 kids watching me lead worshiping. I'm going to have kids underneath me as their group leader and all that kind of stuff. They're watching me. Am I going to get mad when things don't go perfect? What's going to happen when the music doesn't come up exactly when I want it to? They're watching. I better be on my best, my A game. Not for myself, but for him. Men, we have an incredible call. And to be honest, not in this church. But in our culture, we're dropping it. We're dropping the ball. Don't be those men. Pick it up and carry it for the people, the kids, the students, the adults around you. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you. We thank you for this call. We thank you that you ask us and you, you, you give us the opportunity to be men. I'm reminded of the, the Casting Crown song, Courageous, that we as men were made to be courageous. We were made to be the ones standing on the front line for you, and unfortunately, we're backing away from that. Help us, Father. Give us boldness. Give us strength. Give us wisdom, because you are a great God, and we're doing it for you anyway. It's in the name of your Son that we pray, amen and amen.